Coach Fury podcast listeners, get ready for something special. Uh, some people, my friend Tony in particular, said, Fury, we love your fitness podcast, but it's a little too much fitness. We want to hear more of the nerdy stuff. We want to get down into the geeky, nitty, gritty with you. So I have assembled an elite team. Coach Fury's Films of Fury pod squad. Some of the greatest ninjas from Mark Fisher Fitness. These are the folks that I reach out to and go, hey, let's go see this random ass movie. (laughs) And then we talk about it. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves in a moment. But a couple of quick announcements. Actually, one big one. Uh, My wife, Kim, and some friends are putting an art show on on December 1st through the 3rd at the A-Bar in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. The show is called Biting Back Art for a Good Pause. That's P-A-W-S. And the money raised from the art sales and raffles are going to go to an animal rescue uh, named Animal Haven, which is where Kim and I got our dog, Ramona Flowers. So that is December 1st through the 3rd. We've got awesome raffle prizes, including sessions with me, tattoo gift certificates, gym memberships, um, acupuncture sessions, a whole bunch of cool stuff. And we're going to have over 40 great artists. And on December 1st, hell or high water, I'm emceeing this thing. So come and just see how badly I might crash or burn on that, all for a good cause. So please check that out. But now... Getting to the main event, we're going to bring, I'm going to introduce you to the pod squad. And for this first episode, we're going to talk about, in my opinion, the best show to binge watch that Netflix has had so far, Stranger Things 2. So I'm going to start this off with, in order that I'm seeing him on the screens, with my man Tony. I would like you guys to introduce yourselves, tell the listeners where you're from, and because Stranger Things rolls into this, you know, adolescent group movie series thing i want you to let us know what's your favorite Corey feldman movie and i say this not to make fun of Corey feldman because Corey feldman's in a lot of great great excellent examples of this genre so kick it off tony uh thanks very um i'm tony ramo uh i grew up kind of all over the world as an air force brat but uh went to high school in a town very much like the town in stranger things called cheney washington and uh my favorite Corey feldman movie uh that's kind of easy it's probably lost boys like by a mile oh you know because they worked at a comic book store is that <laughs> yeah right immediately yeah. elevated them yeah yep yep just the whole thing like uh where was that santa cruz i think it was so it was all santa cruz boardwalk and like later in my life i would go to santa cruz and it's like it looks exactly like that it's just really fun <laughs> you know so, the only lost problem boys. the only problem with that town all What's the that? damn vampires. <laughs> exactly. exactly. All right, we're, we're moving along. Jen, say hello. Hi, I'm Jen, and I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, but now I live in New Jersey. And since Tony is my spirit animal and took my favorite Corey Feldman movie, um, I'm going to go with my number two, and that would be Gremlins. Oh, awesome choice. Moving on to Lisa. Hey, I'm Lisa Spodak. I am from Baltimore, Maryland, but I've been in New York for about 18 years now. Um, My favorite Corey Feldman movie is a movie that I have been thinking about a lot because of Stranger Things 2, and it's The Goonies. I love The Goonies. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. (laughs) So I have a lot to say about that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And then bringing it in home... Hello, uh, I'm Emily Rao. Uh, I'm actually from a small town in Indiana, so very similar. And well, although I've reached that, it, that, that spot where you've lived as long in your hometown as I've now lived in New York City, so that's, there's that magical spot that you've reached, whether you're actually a New Yorker at that point or not. Um, and my favorite Corey Feldman movie would be The Burbs. I just, I can't 
I can't not go with the Tom Hanks. It's it's just too beautiful. It, it is a really good one. That's uh, a bold choice. It is. It's it's an outward choice, but I, I'm actually going to probably go on record and saying that's probably the last great Corey Feldman movie. Yeah, it's it's a movie that I used to watch with my brother constantly, like over and over again. We would always rent that movie, so it has a very special place in my heart. Uh, folks, I'm Coach Fury, and this is a hard one. Sometimes I answer, I ask these name games, and it's really a hard one for me to pick. I'm going to have to go with Goonies with the Gremlins close second on this, but I'm going to have to go with Goonies, man. He was funny as mouth. Um, so can I give, move- wait, can I give Jen Lost Boys and go with License to Drive? No. <laughs> Is it too late? <laughs> Rock and roll high school forever. We cannot talk about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I almost like, I actually looked up his IMDb real quick and License to Drive is actually really funny, but then we slip into right after the burbs, we slip into dream a little dream. Territory, ooh, ooh. Which is where that weird Michael Jackson sort of obsession started. And, and it suddenly he went from being one of the frog brothers to being somebody I can no longer relate to. Mm. Because the other weird thing, if we're going to go back on a Lost Boys for a moment, that always threw me was Corey Hames' poster of Rob Lowe in his room. Always <laughs> <laughs> so weird. It was just such a weird, you know, uh, art direction choice. But then, you know, Joel Schumacher being the director, I could just picture him being like, "We should really put a Rob Lowe picture in that room." I was like, "Okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hair goals. That's what everybody wants." <laughs> you making fun of my bald head? Of course not. Um, because we all wanted to be that sexy saxophone player at, right? uh, in Lost Boys, right? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's get into what we're talking about today. Let's talk about Stranger Things 2. So Stranger Things 1 sort of, I think for a lot of us, really tapped in, not just into the 80s nostalgia, but like a vibe of a Lost Gone type of movie, um, whether it was Goonies or Stand By Me. Um, you hadn't seen a kid adventure movie like that or a series like that in a really long time certainly not until it came out after um one where kids are in jeopardy like that it seems like i didn't even realize that we had softened in our media to the level of kids actually like holy crap like barb (laughs) it's like scary and poor barb right uh by the way let's just talk this out guys uh listeners if you have not seen this show, it's not going to get only spoiled right now. It's going to get dissected and wrecked for you. <laughs> you might want to, like, stop and come back after the fact. Um, Barb dies. Yeah. She oh, dies. Man. She, she also doesn't come back in Stranger Things 2. No. no. <laughs> I mean, spirit, sort of. Um, so Justice I, for Barb. <laughs> so a, a moment of silence, everybody, for Barb. That was enough. That's all she yeah. needed. Uh, but I think that's what struck a lot of people was we had this brilliant uh, resurgence of the 80s nostalgia, really, you know, even just down to the soundtrack of Stranger Things too, which evoked a lot of the old John Carpenter soundtracks and the wonderful performance of the performances of these kids into a legitimately scary uh, and engrossing storyline, which, yeah. I, I mean, can anybody think of something in the last five years that even nailed close to this? Because I'm trying and everything goes further back to me. 
Yeah, I think what was what was interesting, and I read this quote or or heard them heard the Duffer Brothers. Sorry, my cat is like getting all up in my business here. Um, heard the Duffer Brothers on an interview. They said basically the elevator pitch for this was, "What if Steven Spielberg directed a Stephen King story?" And I think that that I, I mean I think they total they totally nailed that. And I think that's the piece that's really been missing because, um, you know, the the as far as you know, film and TV. Um, You've had horror movies, but we're, they kind of veer off into you know torture porn these days, and you you know you you don't have you don't have those kids. You know we all had the you know the go the Goonies we talk about in Stand by Me, and there are all these those like adventure movies that were like kids movies that weren't necessarily G rated movies. They weren't really kids movies. They were just you know movies with kids like getting into getting into trouble. I think you're right, Fury. Like I I can't remember in the last 10 or 15 years having anything like that. It just feels like it goes back like automatically to like the eighties. I, I can't yeah. even think of like a 90s series, like not even on like the, the more superficial level of like explorers or something. Right. Does anybody, yeah. can anybody else think of like one that's happened in the last five or seven, five, 10 years that has kids in these positions? I can't think of anything that has kids in these positions, especially, although I will admit I don't tend to watch a lot, of television that has child actors this young because a lot of them don't tend to be as good at acting as this batch of children i mean these are really good they're all really good actors and some of them for never having done anything else before this i was just really surprised at how much i liked them how they weren't annoying to me that it made me happy to watch a show that has so many children in it because i admittedly wasn't sure if i wanted to watch this show in the first place based on that and uh, they really surprised me in that so i'm I'm happy that this happened, even if I'm, I can't think of anything else that's close to it recently. Yeah, I think like we've gotten used to that there's always a kid in trouble as opposed to a bunch of kids actually trying to solve a problem. You know, mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you think of, uh, uh, you know, Jurassic World scenarios, that type of deal, there's like a, per, you know, there, there could be a kid in trouble and jeopardy in that way, but it's usually not fellow kids trying to solve the problem out. Like um, Monster Squad, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, or in like a, uh, in a Goonies, Goonies way. Awkward silence. Number one. <laughs> all right. So let, let's just talk about this. Let's take about um, going into season two from season one. So at the end of season one, um, we think to some degree we've, we've gotten them out of jeopardy and we've got Will back at home. Eleven's gone missing, but apparently is, is down for more Eggo waffles. And we pick up, like, season two picks up in a wonderful spot. Like, what has it been, about a year? It's, it's a year later. Yeah, it's a year and later. They did a great job of, in my opinion, reestablishing the world and how it's progressed in this time front. Um, and what I really liked is how they handled Will as being nicknamed Zombie Boy, where they can't really tell the the rest of the community would exactly happen. That's not distracting at all, Tony, who's Sorry. at like fucking Austin Powers <laughs> on a crack or something. Um, I'll put my glasses on. Please don't. Uh, but so they like, you know, they, they, these kids have gone through this massive experience that they can't actually talk about for threat of being arrested again. And, I just found this to be such a well-paced show. I think on any other show that I've binge-watched, including season one of Stranger Things, there's like an episode here or there where you're like, eh, that was like a filler episode or didn't progress a lot. And this one just went 
episode to episode to episode flowed really well. I feel like Kim and I finished it in four nights where we'd watch like two in a row um, or three in a row and then move on. And it was just uh, really well paced. What did you guys think about where we picked up on this? Lisa? Well, I was going to say, talking about that, though, what about episode seven? How'd you feel about that? Because isn't that sort of... It seemed like a love it or hate it, right? Like the controversy. Yeah. That's the the sister episode, right? Yeah. So I really liked that one because I felt like you needed, she needed clarity of that storyline of where she like to get back there. Cause otherwise she was always going to be a not knowing type of person. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like that at least provided some information for her to have clarity to go back home to help with the kids. If that makes sense Mm -hmm. in my own selfish thing. So, um, Right, like two days before this show came out, maybe three days before it came out, it was released. There's a documentary on bodybuilders called Generation Iron One and Two, and they talk about this guy Kai Green, who in the first one is like it's all about him competing for this bodybuilding competition and he loses it. In the second one, they're talking more about how he's actually trying to do other things with his life while he's still bodybuilding, and one of them is acting. So you're seeing this guy going through these acting lessons, and you're like, it's really weird seeing this guy, but he seems like such a nice guy. Well, he's the big dude in that crew. So like I went from like the three-day window of seeing Kai Green talking about becoming an actor to being in Stranger Things too. So I think whether or not it was the best plot line for that show, I was just super happy for him. And I was like, he's doing a really good job. That's awesome. Yeah. And I did love that sort of hyper-stylized punk rock of the 80s, which it never really was quite <laughs> that. Definitely not in 1984. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's if you've ever watched Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx, it's kind of like that punk or it's almost, it's not quite. It reminded me of Tough Turf. Yeah, it's like Batman. What was it? Batman and Robin, the, the other Joel Schumacher one, if we keep want to throw him into the mix, where it's like it's like the day glow punk rockers. It was oh, yeah. that, but without yeah. the day glow. Yeah. But, but I really liked her sister, right? Eight? Was her sister eight? Was eight? Yeah. eight. Yeah. I really liked her sister. I dug the cast. Um, and I liked the storyline with her mom. But I just, I mean, I just think she needed motivation to like clear that part out and, and come back. I have a theory, actually, about that episode, about sort of the the third act of the show overall, and that episode in particular in that. I think that that they sort of did with... Hold on, my cat's on my mouth. Stop it. Um, they sort of did a Empire Strikes Back sort of thing where everybody kind of separates. Like, Seven's gone for the whole thing, right? You get Seven has her own... Or, I'm sorry, Eleven, Eleven. has her own storyline the whole time. And then she comes back at the end. That's sort of like... I felt like she was going off and doing her Luke on Dagobah sort of thing, right? So she's got to go. She's got to find the mom. She's got to... Um, she's got to find her sister... Um, kind of have her adventure, you know, meanwhile, the kids are doing their own thing and then they come back together. I also think um, that from from what I've heard, they've said they've got seven to eight developments, sort of uh, seven to eight seasons, um, you know, developmentally ready. So they've they've sort of mapped it out. And I think they also used this season to kind of introduce new characters and ideas that I think if they get greenlit going forward i think we're going to see a lot more of eight like i could see a whole separate story arc going off to eight and her thing cool emily hit it well speaking as someone who just finished watching the rest of season two today right before this podcast as it's hard for me to binge watch too many episodes of this in a row because i have an issue with the pacing um i found that episode seven to be very um 
random and colorful, which was neat. And I liked all of the individual characters, although I found it hilarious that they were such stereotypes of of people like I'm the crazy 80 girl with the big hair and I'm yeah, the one right, right. we're really we're in hiding we don't want the police to find us I'll just make sure my mohawk is only two feet tall today <laughs> <laughs> and you like know, seven colors <laughs> you know, no one will definitely be able to tell all of us together we're not a group we're not at all conspicuous in any way so while I, I did enjoy the individual characters I thought it was a little bit over the top plus it was hard to tell based on how season how episode six had ended exactly how much time was passing while she's hanging out doing cool stuff in Chicago before she's going to inevitably return, because obviously I could see where that was going, return to help save the day, because clearly she had to. But I couldn't even tell how many days were passing and where she's supposed to fit into the timeline. And also there's a lot of extended, beautiful shots, which they're beautiful, but they're gratuitously long and beautiful. Because <laughs> I think every episode could have been 10 minutes shorter and I would have been okay with it. Just compress a little. Jen, you have your hand up. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> I agree with uh, Emily there. Like I could have done without uh, episode seven completely. I get the character motivation and why she needed that whole like experience, but we've been hiding her for a year now and the government is looking for her and she traveled to three different places in how many days and nobody saw her? Like, that just didn't make sense to me. Like, this this person is being looked for for the entire U.S. government, and she has magical powers. And no she one found her. <laughs> she had makeup on. We put a little black eyeliner, we slicked her hair back, nobody recognized her. Like, I just felt like, okay, that makes sense. I get why we're doing it, but I could have done without it. Um, especially at like the episode before the penultimate episode. Like if that happened episode six, I would have been like, all right, fine, I'll take it. But she had been away from the group for a long time. I was ready for her to be back and she just wasn't. She went on a field yeah. trip and then came home. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to let this one slide because again, it's set up that she had to go back to her family. And I think that whole thing of her visiting her mom and, and her sister really helped reestablish that relationship with, you know, David Harbour as her father figure in there, who clearly what I liked about that arc through the rest of these episodes is like, she had a hard time judging if he was a good guy or a bad guy, even though, you know, his motivations seemed heartfelt to protect her. She definitely did not always view that as a good thing. He was starting to become like daddy, the bad guy. Papa. Papa, right? Yeah, yeah. Papa. Oh, and let's talk about characterizations, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the freaking Mad Max's brother's metalhead. Come on. Oh, no, I hated that guy. I mean, don't even. I mean, I can do an episode of how much I hate that motherfucker. I mean, like, I thought, talk about gratuitous characterizations with poor yeah. musical choices. It's just like, oh. As a metalhead of that era, though, I would have been younger in 84. I would have only been 12, but I was already listening to Iron Maiden and stuff. Even I was like, no one's that cool. No <laughs> one is that metal. <laughs> and that like pseudo mullet, I'm like, I know the mullet. I had one. I was there in the trenches for that. <laughs> and that was just like a bad wig mullet. He was so over the top. Yeah. Um, that and was fine. Right. And there was no payoff either. They made him into this terrible, horrible person. And the big thing is that, oh, he's just mad about a divorce and having to move. That and was it. it? And he gets put in his place pretty promptly. 
and he's kind of racist. Like, well, kind of. I mean, oh no, kind of. Like, no, no. Like, oh, it was the eighties. Everybody was racist. Right. He he's, never said it, and he didn't wear shirt. Straight up so. racist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. Metalheads had a bad year between that guy and the bad guys from the movie It. We just were yeah. looking pretty solid. <laughs> but I thought that was, it's interesting because I thought he was a classic like Stephen King trope though. Like he was, he was, he was straight out of it. He was straight out of all of those, you know, King's always got that, that character who represents the evil in human form. You know, King's always got the guy, there's like the supernatural terror. And then there's a the guy who will actually kill you. You know, and that's like, and that was sort of, that guy shows up in it, you know, and then he kind of, I feel like the Duffers were like, check, you know, we need to, oh, we didn't do that in in, this, in season one. What do we have to add in season two? It's like, well, we didn't have a guy, let me think, we didn't have a guy with uh, a We mohawk. need James Spader. We need the exactly, James exactly, <laughs> exactly. Who's, who would Spader play? We got Paul Reiser. Who would Spader play if he was young and not bald? Um, yeah, exactly. It, it felt like, it felt like, you know, and he was so gratuitous. And then by the time, like, they, you know, it was sort of like, okay, I got the Scorpion thing. I could go off about the music, too. I was very unhappy about the music overall in this season. Oh, really? Like, um, oh, yeah. I've got, may, I've got many issues with the music in, in this season. Um, but, yeah, sort of like this idea of, like, okay, we get it. You're the bad guy. You crank your music. But, like, every time, right? It was just like, in case you forgot from last time. When I rocked you like a hurricane, here's Ted Nugent, Wango Tango. <laughs> it's like fucking Ted Nugent. I mean, can you make a more politically incorrect choice of your seventies metal? And like Wango Tango is like seventy-eight or seventy-nine. And I'm just like, okay, so this kid who's seventeen, like, is down with like the Scorpions and also Ted Nugent, and then and then Metallica later. It's like he, he only look. I mean, he's seventeen, but he looks thirty-five. Right. <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I was shocked that the actor was only twenty-three because I had to look it up because I was making jokes about it, and I was wrong. He's only twenty-three. Oh my god! Yeah. I'm also looking at these gym scenes, and I think I might have showered at a high school gym at most once in my life. Like, yeah. And <laughs> you had your shorts on the, that time. How much activity is happening in the locker room, especially if you hate being part of the gym class, like? just get out <laughs> yeah i think but he was he was sort of written to be like let's put steve in every uncomfortable situation it's like so here's your rival he's gonna kick your ass on the basketball court and then he's gonna talk to you while you're naked and he's <laughs> not like, gonna be wearing a shirt for any of it <laughs> forever yeah <laughs> but he's definitely not gonna steal your girlfriend <laughs> nope nope well let's talk about mom <laughs> right exactly yeah. Yeah. Uh, i forgot that about that part <laughs> oh, that seems kind of hot come on come right. on no. <laughs> well, let's talk about steve. no i'm not i'm not going to normalize 17 year old dudes trying to make out with people's moms that's not cool <laughs> uh, yeah there were no cougars in the 80s there was no yeah. milk porn there's uh let's talk about steve for a moment because like he was a, in the first season he's sort of this character you don't know if he's going to be like really a true good guy or a bad guy like he could have been the spader cat and then in this one he's like almost like the sub father figure of the whole group who wants yeah. to hop on that one oh, I, lisa steve is- i will because this this was a big part of my whole goonies thing because once i started seeing him as brand I couldn't unsee the Goonies comparisons. I mean, the Goonies comparisons were always there, obviously, but it just hit such a very specific thing for me when it was him and the kids in sort of this supervisory, babysitting, confidant kind of thing. I was like, oh my God, it's Bran. 
And then I just couldn't get past like, oh my God, and that's Steph. And oh my God, you know, and just kind of seeing. Oh, by the way, Sean Aston is here as Bob Newby. Yeah, well, <laughs> oh, I mean. And then he yeah. has that line about, are you guys, what is this, a treasure map? I was yeah. like, oh. Oh, it was perfect. To, no, but it was like, not to put too fine a point on it, Duffer Brothers, but it's like, it's like, you know, Aliens is like my, in my top 10. There were like so many aliens, like not even Easter eggs. Yeah. It's like somebody like just put eggs all over your kitchen. <laughs> Jen, you, you were going to say something, Jen. I, I was going to say, so, you know, season one, like, I agree with you, the whole Steve character, I was concerned, didn't know I liked him. The the whole scene where he ends up in the backseat of the car and comes to and is covered in Band-Aids by the kids and they're yeah. driving, yeah. I mean, is like the epitome of when you fall in love with him because yep. he has become their dad. And, like, he is the hero we deserve out of this whole series. I think he was probably one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he can. He and Dustin can just drive around in a car <laughs> for an entire yes. episode, and I'd be yeah. fine with that. For, pretty much, right? They could have right? just replaced episode seven with that, and it would have been way better. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's, the buddy, that's the buddy movie episode you want, right? It's just like, he had me at, he had me at like, oh, this bat? Yeah. You know, it was like, he's like, do you have the bat? He's like... What? Oh, this bat? It's like, yeah, okay. All right, Steve. Owned. Yeah. Well, let's take to the standout of Dustin in this one, who got a much bigger chance to shine, right? Um, although maybe not the best idea, although it worked out in the end, to hold on to a potentially demonic creature. Uh, I was just happy that, that paid off in the end, because I was like, nobody's this stupid. They have to have some sort of Chekhov's gun scenario involving this stupid Demogorgon baby dog thing at some point. So I had to wait six hours for it, but it came. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I really liked the heart that he showed, especially... You know, if we go to the Steve and Dustin show, when he when he's at the prom at the end at the snowball, <sighs> that that moment when he's just he goes for it and he's all stoked, and then he gets crushed, and then you know he does end up getting that dance with uh with Nancy. Nancy. It's kind of amazing. Uh, I, was I was like blown away by his performance in particular. I was watching some of the um like Beyond Stranger Things. I don't I can't remember what they call them. The videos yeah. with yeah. Jim Rash. Yeah, and um. It was it was funny because he was talking about that and it was it was so cute because he talked about, you know, how Dustin got rejected and all that and he's like, you know, he wanted to be Steve and then realized he wasn't Steve. No, but it was so good. But like Steve, like yeah, in particular that relationship was was really good. And I think that like like that whole uh yeah, that whole scene in the gym was really like, okay, which one of the Duffer brothers was that kid? You know, it's like, it's like you know, there was like somebody who went in with all that game and the girls. But the point where like the third group of girls runs away from him, I was just like, <laughs> oh my God, but he persists. You know, it's like, and finally, finally he's just crying on the bleachers. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah was- they, they really captured a lot of heart on this one. I mean, uh, one of the things that I've noticed, and this is interesting, as my kids are starting to come closer to the age of some of these participants, right? They're, you know, they're not quite there yet is when you see these kids in jeopardy, like you have the parent reaction now, which as a kid, when we would see something in the eighties, like if you saw Goonies, you were just like, I could go on this adventure. I could be in monster squad. And now it's like, that could be my kid in jeopardy. So like, you know, if, if we go on to the movie, it, um, like horrifying and in the areas of this like areas of this one with will going through what he's going through in this one yeah like just being traumatized especially that moment where um 
you know, he, he becomes the spy. I just find that gut-wrenching as a dad that this kid stuck with it. And that's something I, I don't normally expect myself to, to feel. Um, but it's a different perspective I get on these movies now as a dad. Does anybody else sort of feel that, like, it's almost like a deeper horror in a way because it, it's like a kid now as opposed to being one of us? Does that make sense? Yeah, dude, I'm raising a 16-year-old daughter in New York City. I'm fucking Joyce Byers every Friday night, man. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's just... Jen's saying the same thing. Same here. No, actually, uh, Felicia and I watched it together, my daughter and I, and that was, we had to- two totally different reactions to the show. She was all about, like, this is amazing and this adventure, and I was sitting here like, oh my God, that child is possessed. What do I do? Like, this is the worst possible thing. Poor, you know, Winona Ryder and her terrible, crazy face. Yeah. This is awful. And, oh, Bob, he doesn't know what's going to happen, but it's going to end up bad for him. You know it's not going going well for Bob. You you picked the wrong person to be stepdad to. Like, this (laughs) is not okay. Well, let's, since Jen brought him up, let's bring the season, the barb of season two is Bob. <laughs> and beautifully portrayed by an original Goonie. I mean, come on. Like, it, it's just, it was so cool having Sean Astin there. And I'm, he, he's one of those cats ever since Goonies that whenever he shows up in something, even before something as big as the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you're always stoked when Sean Astin's in something. Like, whether it's Encino Man or whether it's um, Rudy, uh, Rudy, he's actually really good in Rudy. That's you know what I'm saying. He's amazing in Rudy. But then he's also in like Cabin Fever, Patient Zero, you know, uh, <laughs> which is which is a true story. He's in that. Like, so it's always awesome to have him show up. And I just remember, like, just let him live. Like, just, just, just let him live. Like, don't. It's so easy to take him out, but let him live. And then, fuck it, they got rid of him. But to be fair, okay, it was his fault that Will got possessed because he was the one who told him, just stop and tell him to go away. If Will <laughs> kept with his plan of just running away forever, none yeah. of this would have happened. But so who knew? Good <laughs> advice. I mean. How, how rad was it, though, when he started solving the, solving the problem? When, when they go into the ha- Winona's house and they've got the map, and Bob's just like, I don't know what all this is. Oh, wait a minute. I know what this is. And he just starts putting the map together. Right. I love that scene. The, they're measuring. they got three inches. I'm like, okay, Bob, that sounds like a personal issue. But like, <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you and your three inches. are going to go to Tippecanoe now. It's like, wow, really? Okay. I don't know. I, I, was not, I was not as enamored with Bob. Plus, like, if you're, like, in a dark place full of monsters and you got Paul Reiser on the other end, it's like you didn't even watch aliens like come on he's not gonna like that dude is gonna like sell you out like you know but he didn't, they didn't no, I, didn't. <laughs> I was just gonna say that was a great swerve of this one yeah. Paul risers in there you made the aliens reference and you're like yep. oh man he's gonna be the bad guy doctor and he turns yep. out to be like one of the only good ones in there yeah well, i was wondering if based on the titles of the episodes when they got to this about the spy i was wondering if sean Aston was just it was a long con to get close to joyce so they could continue to surveil the kid i was going in all different directions totally the wrong way but that was what i was wondering who the spy was until it turned out to be will yeah that whole like uh what was the other movie where they, they can see what they see oh it's like it's lord of the rings when when you when you have the uh palantir the stones yeah. 
right? Or, the, or are you wearing the ring? I didn't mean to give you guys the finger when I put up my ring. <laughs> ring. I, really didn't, I didn't really mean to do that. Um, so let's talk about for a moment uh, how awesome David Harbour is as Jim Hopper, right? And he's really exciting because I didn't know him from anything, at least that I can think of, prior to this show. And that's our new Hellboy, guys. What do we think about that? Oh, well, Hopper, Hopper's my favorite character in the show by far. Like, he has been since season one. I like, I like David Harbour. I didn't realize who's, is, who's directing the Hellboy. I'm forgetting the name entirely. Huh. Yeah. But it, it is not Del Toro. Okay. Um, I'm going to look it up real quick while we're chatting. I mean, but, it could be cool. I like Hellboy. I like David Harbour. Um, could be, you know, could be good. I, I, what I love about Harbor is, and, and, and I guess in this season, I thought at the end of the last season, he, they were going to sort of make him sort of an honorary, I don't know, X-Files guy almost, right? Like, I kind of expected that they were going to, like, just open him up to be special agent of all creepiness as opposed to trying to keep everything chill and under key. So I really love this subdued nature that he had in taking care of Eleven, um, even though it wasn't necessarily the best lifestyle for her to have. Um, and I liked how those flashbacks played out, how they let you know sort of how they reconnected after the season one ended. Can we talk about that awesome squirrel kill, though? That was one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in the whole movie. It's like, whap! Squirrel's dead. Now I'm cooking it. It was like, okay, all right. Oh, and Hell- hey, Hellboy's being directed by Neil Marshall, who did The Descent, which is amazing, and did Dog Soldiers, and then... I like Dog Soldiers. Not so much that I'm aware of after that. So it's got potential. Um, But The Descent's an amazing movie. I'm forgetting the name of his other one. So we're just going to throw that out there. That's your Hellboy. You can find a picture of that guy. Um, And I'm stoked for that actor, David Harbour, man. That's like a big step up for him. No, he's great. I didn't also his theory. I didn't I didn't recognize him from anything, you know, which I thought was kind of a bold move because you kind of you kind of go into season one and you've got like, you know, Winona Ryder, Matthew Modine. And it's like, OK, so these are your anchor characters. Wait, you didn't recognize him from Dexter? No, I did not. I did no, not I'm recognize kidding. him from Dexter. I'm kidding that he I think he looks a lot like Michael C. Hall. Oh, oh, really? Wait, with <laughs> yeah. a beard and he's kind of heavier and probably yeah. less Michael C. Hall's size. But yeah, other than that, I, I was when I, w- I went to Comic Con this year in San Diego, and there was a panel that he was on. Uh-huh. I honestly don't remember what it was called. It was sort of like Random Hot Guys. I something like that, but I don't remember. <laughs> random Hot Guy panel. <laughs> it was like him and Ricky Whittle and a couple other guys. And um, he was talking about that. That you know, I think they someone asked the question of like, who do you often get? Uh, uh, misrecognized for, and that was his, which I oh, thought that's was hilarious. Really I could totally see that. Yeah, I, he just looked like a oh, it's a that guy. I I couldn't place him from anything, but I knew I had seen him before. But I could not have told you any project he'd worked on. Only like, yeah, I've seen him in something, and I remember he was good, but I don't know what it was. That was what yeah. his whole face was for for me. I, I couldn't recognize him from anything, and I love that about it. So I was able to just like a hundred percent like buy into this cat. Um, and then, you know, let's talk about moving through this cast a little bit. You know, Winona, right? She kind of nails it in this in her Winona quirky way. Um, I had totally forgot. Jen and I were hanging out early, and I totally forgot about that wacky-ass Golden Globes <laughs> nomination, which was kind of all blitzed out in the background. So that's yeah. always keeping it weird for Winona. I liked her a lot better in Stranger Things 2 than the first one. Like, I found it very hard to binge the first one because of her. Like She's I couldn't less take panicky. Yeah, I, I couldn't take a lot of it, but I I 
found her a lot more. Uh, I could deal with it a lot. I, I, I enjoyed her a lot more in the second one. Yeah, I think she they gave her more of a purpose than just being like the worried, harried mom. Like she was more, I guess, act, active. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Taking action steps. I also uh, was impressed because I felt like she didn't quite, she wasn't always, the character wasn't always like protect Will at all costs, right? Like they had to make some hard decisions near the end when they realized that closing the gate would kill him and all that. And I kind of expected her to just kind of freak out like and not let him put him to sleep and all that kind of stuff. And I felt like she was able to sort of make ra- better choices than I would have thought in the first season that she would have. Yeah, for a moment there, it looked like they were just knocking everybody out on call. Yeah. <laughs> knock, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> everybody was getting stabbed with sedatives, like, all over the place. Like, without even thought. They were just like, well, sedative for you. Done. How do these people know how to do dosage? Like, well, no one don't. OD'd? Like, you don't need to worry about veins or anything. Just no, nobody bled. No, no air yeah. bubbles in the syringe to kill <laughs> you. Nothing. Everybody's no, fine. Yeah, just... Just throw them, squeeze, just whatever. Just run around <laughs> with bottles. Um, hey, while we're talking, let's go. Let's 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 get through this cast for a little bit. So we had the introduction of uh, Mad Max, which I thought was really cool, actually, uh, because of course she skateboards and she won. And then they had that nice sort of triangle brewing between uh, uh, Lucas and Dustin, and it was really nice to see Lucas get the girl on this one. But what'd you guys think of that whole storyline minus her like bitchy brother? Also, that was not that was not my favorite. Like I didn't I didn't really I didn't buy the try. I mean, it was I guess it was one of those things where like, am I gonna get on the ride that is this love triangle? And I just never did. And I was just never convinced because I I thought that none of those three kids had any chemistry whatsoever. Like like Eleven and Mike have chemistry. Like you can see like those two those two kids have chemistry, and I was like I did not believe that either one of those dudes was into that girl. Um, and it was, you know, so th- that was really rough to then go like, all right, it- it'd be different if there was one guy interested in her and he gets the girl, that would be, you know, but but then to like be like, oh no, they're actually both into her. And it's like, I didn't, I, I don't know. I, I didn't think it was, I, I thought the whole, the-, the introduction of those two new characters, both Max and her brother were completely unnecessary, but that's just me. I, I, I just, disagree. <laughs> of course you just, do. <laughs> it was sort of a sexless. I, I felt like they liked her, but as like only like a friend. So the fact that there was all this kissing happening at the school dance was kind of weird because <laughs> they didn't have any sort of, it wasn't like I'm attracted to you and I want to make out with you behind the bleachers. It was more like, oh my God, do you want to play D&D with me? That's awesome. I, I didn't get a... And it's weird to even say I didn't get any sexual chemistry with the twelve-year-olds. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roy Moore, back it up there, back it up. Careful. I, I, I can vouch that twelve-year-old boys that play D and D do not try to kiss you. I, I know I played with them a lot when I was. 12. Exactly. <laughs> not try to kiss you. you. Nobody's making moves. I promise. Even I, if you're being obvious. I, <laughs> I bought into that whole relationship, and I, I just I. I I like the dynamic. I like how she ended up sort of um, when Eleven got pissed at seeing Max with Mike and had that little freak out moment and how that sort of sent him on the journey. So like, however we needed to get there, I like them as like, I like her as a foil to help them get there. Uh, and I, like, I, I didn't see like the dance scene as any sort of raging 
French kissing or anything. It was like, <laughs> it was like nice, sweet first kisses. You guys are just sick and stuff. Worse than I am. Um, I, I really bought into all that, especially this idea of like trying to make a new friend and how does a new friend fit in when you've had your friends have gone through this situation you can't talk about. Like, I thought that was really cool. Like just in dealing with the situation. Except that's not the story they told. Like, what you just said would have been totally fine. Like, it was sort of like getting, when it was like, oh, there's this cool girl where, you know, first of all, she skated in Madrid, which nobody skated back then, because I skated back then. That's not true. We still you know. we skated in Madrid. <laughs> I, I did not have a Madrid. The was legit. It was like, come on, man. I mean, a vision every once in a while, you know, but it was like, but you were all Powell and Sims. It was Powell and Sims. If you had a Madrid, it was like, you know. It's a Back to the Future homage. It's a flea. Yeah. It was a, it, she, had a, that, she had that flea market skateboard. But, um, but no, it just, what you just said, Fury, like the idea that like, Will had kind of gone, you know, into the, you know, into his weirdness and they were looking for like somebody for the party. Like I got that. And it was like, okay, you know, yeah. Adding the extra person to the group, right. That made sense to me, but it was just sort of, they pinned, they pinned a lot of the story and the character development on that love triangle. And I didn't buy the love triangle. That was the part that, that I, that I didn't think, I didn't think really, really, landed but yeah i like i like you know the new kid you know the new kid coming to town part that was all you know that was all legit and like she's cool because she rides a skateboard that was legit but yeah <laughs> but i mean they broke the major rule of D D, which is you don't split the party that's how bad things happen if you split the party someone's gonna die or be possessed or <laughs> or whatever it's gonna terrible things will happen to you if you split the party that that's what always happens <laughs> i didn't play D D enough <laughs> Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why a lot of this is getting a pass from me. Uh, get on our level. That's why. Yeah, get Fury, Fury's all like, "I wanted less D and D and more kissing." <laughs> uh, not really at all. A little bit more like I wanted more skateboarding and video game stuff. Um, let's round out this cast a little bit now. So, look, uh, Millie Bobby Brown got the shine. I think more in this one than the last time. Even though if you might not have liked her scenes, is when she got her pat benatar makeover in episode seven um but let's also just take a moment to notice that she's gonna be in the next godzilla movie too what yeah um but i really liked how they let her have some genuine moments throughout like later in like i was a little concerned in the beginning of the show that she's gonna be sort of locked in this not really fully speaking having to take all the rules. And I think maybe that's what I like about episode seven is they let her find her own voice more than we've had in the past with her. But it's sort of like she went from, you know, speaking very little and not understanding how to talk to people. And then that in that episode, she was like a regular person almost. And it's that was kind of jarring that she'd managed to mature that much so quickly just by, you know, hitching a ride and a semi-truck across nice the Nice man. <laughs> with a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> i think that's also a byproduct of eating a lot of egg and waffles though i think it <laughs> oh, it, just, it, like, it imparts social skills <laughs> yeah it's like it's like alpha brain or something it feeds your brain <laughs> i liked the whole debrief on that with hopper afterwards though when it was like how'd you get there with who in a oh. truck <laughs> <Bitches>. <laughs> 
Well, I was actually worried, like, at the beginning, when you realize, like, she's been in the cabin for, there was, there was kind of this weird, this weird dichotomy between, like, okay, at some point she's in the cabin and you realize, like, he's giving her dictionary words and yet she's still talking very, like, you know, her sentences are three words or less, you know, and I was like, wait a minute, so you're reading her the dictionary every night, but she hasn't learned to communicate in the last year that she's been in there. And then all of a sudden, to Emily's point, then she gets in the truck with Trucker Dave and, you know, goes off on her adventure and she comes back, you know, after well, she's uh, her guest spot in the Love is a Battlefield video. And I, I know, it, must, it must be when he was reading her Anne of Green Gables, you know. Right, right. Let's, let's yes, read an orphan yes, book. That's right. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's how you learn. <laughs> oh, what was that movie, Nell? jody foster that's just 11 and then all of a sudden she like saw like a woody allen movie and got all like verbose towards the end oh my god (laughs) yeah no she did she did great she didn't know she millie bobby brown was great and i thought that i thought that you know I, I, and again, I think that whole, like, her going off, not to go back to the episode seven thing, I thought that her, you know, her going off is sort of there, like, going, like, okay, we're probably going to see, my guess is, like, in season four, we're going to see her, like, out on the road, like, we're going to see her, like, off doing her own. I mean, I feel like that was sort of the New Mutants thing, right? Like, like when she's out, she meets eight, it's like, oh, how many others are there? Well, are yeah, there? right, the Weapon X program. Right, exactly. There's, there's many other numbers out there. Yeah. Matthew Modine sick papa yeah <laughs> so it was weird too papa sounds weird to say i don't know why um and then if we're gonna you know t- tackle off the rest of these kids man how good is finn right that guy that kid is so talented finn wolfhard hey his name is finn wolfhard playing jesus Mike yeah i mean you, you're set up for success no matter how much do you play if your name is finn wolfhard uh but not only great in this show which he actually doesn't get to do nearly as much i thought as he did in season one true um but also man if you see it he steals every scene he's in on it like just what a talented kid with with the worst haircut unfortunately that's a tough one they're all pretty bad where's the dustin (laughs) Mm -hmm. the worst haircut Dustin's hair's natural. It's only when he sculpts it to look pretty and pink that it really gets great. The worst haircut in that show is because it looks like a wig, although it's not, is Jonathan's hair. Like uh Jonathan's Jonathan Byers got some bad hair. Yeah. Yeah, it's the weirdest <laughs> thing because it looks like a wig. It looks almost on par with like heavy metal dude wig, but it's not. It's actually his hair. And it bought it's the one thing that bothered me <laughs> in the first episode. In the first season, I was like, what's up with his hair? It looks like a bad like 80s wig, but it's not. It's like his actual hair. Uh at, please to the actor, I'm not making fun of your hair at all. I have no <laughs> right because no remember he's fight. a child just so we're clear we cannot make fun of a child's hair well, no he's not a child that dude's in his 20s that dude's, 20s. 20s. Yeah. That dude's gotta 20s. be in his 20s yeah okay please he's gonna look at me and be like i can make fun of that guy he's an old middle-aged fucker <laughs> talk about my show on a podcast that we're gonna have all seven listeners so that's five of us and two other listeners <laughs> one my daughter because i'll make her listen and then the people who couldn't be on with us <laughs> yes the rest of the pod squad they're gonna be so um, jealous i did think mike was kind of a jerk this time around though he sort of he really irritated me a lot you know, he had sort of like the biggest loss in some ways out of that first season, though. He like found this amazing relationship and then it totally got ripped away, right? Like sour. 
I get yeah, that. Yeah, but I guess, I don't know. I just, I thought, and maybe it was him just lashing out and stuff, but I just thought he was a real jerk. Well, it'll be very interesting to see where they take all this now that everybody's sort of in a relatively happy ending, um, barring, you know, when you get that great scene at the end when they pull away and, and the school flips upside down and the shadow thing is still looking on them. Um, I have a theory that that shadow thing is the shadow thing from Lost. Uh, that's a joke folks i don't think that's that's the shadow thing if a polar bear shows up in stranger things three like we know like damn you (laughs) Uh, well holy shit we're gonna start wrapping this up because we have literally been talking for an hour that went very quickly Um, everybody have some final comments uh let's go down the line i'm gonna start in reverse order with emily any final thoughts on stranger things two uh or where you would like to see this go into Stranger Things 3? I'd have to say that I really liked the, the second half of the season because as I was watching the beginning, I was like, oh, this is going to be a slog to get through. And then I had to get through it because we were going to talk about it. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed how exciting the end was, even if there were certainly parts that I could see it coming. That was the one thing. I've seen so many of the movies that they're referencing that I, could, I was very rarely surprised by anything that happened. Because I, I was like, well, it's going to be one of two things. It's either this thing from Goonies or it's this thing from Aliens. This is what they're trying to do. So I'm hoping going forward for next year, for the next season, that uh, they'll sort of be able to twist a little bit more so I can't see every single plot twist coming. Even if I'm excited where it's going, because it's still going to be cool, I want to be surprised a little more. True. That makes total sense. Lisa. Oh, um, I think, you know, one of the things that really struck me, I finished watching it yesterday and I, I didn't hate episode seven. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. But man, coming back after that, it felt almost like a different show than the beginning part. Like, I mean, the beginning part was creepy and had some scary stuff, but I thought that the last two episodes were like scary, (laughs) like, you know, like faster and more and scarier than I was expecting. Like all of a sudden there's mutant hell dogs everywhere, you know? And it was just like, it just had such a different pace and moved so quickly. It just felt really different to me after sort of that little diversion or, you know, character development or whatever it was. Like, like I said, I didn't hate it, but it was interesting to me how different it felt when it came back from that. Um, I, I'm not, I don't know what I think about, the next installment I don't I tend to when I say this it'll sound weird I don't really care and I don't mean that as a negative I you know I I've really enjoyed the first two so I kind of trust them to do something that I'll enjoy next time and so I'm not really trying to I'm trying not to overthink it too much or set my expectations anywhere because I kind of want to just go along with it and see what happens um, it awesome. does get, I mean, I do think it gets to the point at some point though, where it's like, okay, there's a bad thing and they defeat it. And then there's another bad thing and they defeat it. It's sort of like Buffy living on the Hellmouth. Like, does every bad thing just come here every year? There's a new thing to defeat, you know, and kind of how do you deal with that? You know, is it just sort of the thing didn't die, so it's back or it's another thing, but that's the only thing that I worry about a little bit is kind of how do you sustain that kind of creepiness when you do try to wrap it up each time? Yeah, that's true. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Jen. 
Um, yeah, so the pacing for me was much better this season. There was no point in time except for episode seven where I was like, what am I doing? So I really love that about the season. Um, I agree with Lisa on the fact of where are we going? Like what's happening next? And can poor Will go through any more? Cause the kid needs a break, like seriously. <laughs> um, and my final thing that I want to leave us on for me is like rest in peace, Muse the cat, because that poor cat. Oh, like, that was so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I'm just heartbreaking like that and 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 poor Dustin's mom like really the breakout star of the show for me just saying <laughs> completely Tony so uh did anybody realize that like the the muse the cat getting eaten was just an alf reference because remember the show alf alf ate cats I mean I don't know. <laughs> other alien I don't know it's just maybe I was the only one um yeah you know what I mean I actually liked the first season better than the second season. Um, I had more pacing issues with this season than the first, um, but I enjoyed the second one. I cannot abide another, like, Eleven shows up and kills the bad thing, though. That can't that can't be, like, every season. It's up to Eleven to show up and stick her hand out in front of her and kill the thing. Like, like that's, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we see more of what goes on outside of Hawkins. Um, I hope some, like, other characters get some more, like, badass stuff to do um and to to emily's point you know although i love the eggs all over my kitchen um the you know the same thing like i you know i remember all the things they're referencing in real time and so it's like you know i really like that they threw in like four different aliens easter eggs and you know the goonies easter eggs and stuff like that but at some point you know i think they're gonna have to be quit being so referential and this this show is gonna have to stand on its own because i think the nostalgia factor is gonna is starting like you know, I'm a guy who was, you know, I was 18 in 1983. So like it, that was really heavy for these last two seasons, but I think now they're going to have to really double down on their storytelling and their character development. And just, you know, to get me, if they're saying they've got seven or eight seasons, like ready down the road, that's what I'm going to want to see. Cool. Uh, Fury, this is my final thoughts. Uh, I preferred this season. I mean, I shouldn't say I preferred this season to season one. I thought this was an excellent evolution of what season one was. Um, And I don't want to go in with expectations about the next one other than I hope it's just not like a repetition of the same thing. Like the hole opens up. We have to close the hole. We get number (laughs) nine. (laughs) There's two holes open in another hole. So we have to close this one with the shocker with three of the numbers. (laughs) Eight, 11 and nine. Close this shocker style. Um, but I do want to see where these kids go and I want to see how like they actually, uh, the interesting thing I like about this show, it's kind of like in a walking dead. One of the nice things when you have eight hours to live with these characters, to see how they grow and see how they react to everything, um, and evolve from it as opposed to just like, here's the next movie two years later, right? You get to spend time with that. So that stuff really interests me. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll see some cool shit from that. Um, Pod Squad, thank you so much. We did an episode. Holy shit. Yay! Um, to the <laughs> listeners, I, I hope you dig it. Um, I think next time we'll drink a little bit when we do this one. Um, uh, this was super fun. Thank you guys for coming on. The We do have an extended crew. Unfortunately, Robert and Jeff couldn't be here tonight, but uh, we're, it's going to be hard to get all the squad on at one time. But uh, thank you all for coming out and watching these shows. And stay tuned for info on further episodes of the Films of Fury Pod Squad, part of Coach Fury Podcast. And uh, 
I hope you guys had fun. This was fun for me. What about you guys? Great. Yeah, fucking awesome. <laughs> what are we doing next? Uh, we got to think about that, but I think we might go into Monster Squad territory. Oh, that, I need to watch it. That'll but be, that means I that haven't means watched it. I want to invite all of you over to watch Monster Squad before we do it. I, I do have to say, I do have to say too, though, when you first talked about doing this, I totally thought we were going to all be together when we did it. I didn't know we were going to be calling in. I don't have that many microphones. <laughs> I had this thought of mine. I was like, oh my God, we're all going to just like hang out and talk about this stuff. It's going to be awesome. Well, it's and, like, uh, it's not quite like comic book man <laughs> on uh, AMC. But stay tuned, folks. Um, for any information on the podcast, check out CoachFury.com or on iTunes. Again, keep an eye out for Kim's art show, Biting Back Art for a Good Pause, December 1st through the 3rd. That is at BitingBackNYC.com. And uh, thank you to the squad. Stay tuned. Signing off. Uh, everybody, on the count of three, tell everybody to die mighty. One, two, three. Die, die mighty. That was horrible timing. <laughs> on the count of three. <laughs> clap three times on the count of three clap three times one two three a little bit of lag we're gonna roll with that <laughs> so much delay so much delay uh all right guys i love you thanks everybody the coach fury podcast is created owned and produced by yours truly steve coach fury hollander for fury industries llc Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Urieta. Thanks, everyone.